I believe the ultimate metric for a leader is, are you relevant to the people in your arena? Are you relevant to your children? Are you relevant to your sales team? Do they, in other words, do they see you as being clear on their goals and trying to help them reach them? And if you're not, you're not relevant. And they're only going to follow you as far as they can when you're looking. And then they're going to become a social insurgent when you're not. Pull up a seat to the table. You are listening to the Luminary Leadership Podcast, where we elevate successful entrepreneurs into powerful leaders doing work that really matters. After working with countless entrepreneurs, I've noticed a theme. No matter the level of success achieved, they get to this place where they're asking, now what? If you're listening to this, you get it. You're craving more impact. You want to do work that means something, and you want to be known for it, too. Somewhere along the way, it wasn't just about growing a business anymore. It became time to build your legacy. Plus, building the dream at the expense of everything else that matters, family, freedom, joy, is no dream at all. The Luminary Leadership Podcast is where industry leaders come to break through to their next level of achievement, purpose, and impact. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and I'm here to raise up this generation of leaders, us, so we can do our part in raising up the next generation of little luminaries. Get ready as we break down all things entrepreneurial leadership in a way that isn't being talked about. We both know you don't just need another strategy. It's time for your breakthrough. All right, guys, don't tell my mother, but she's currently in competition for my favorite interview of all time. Now, my mom took the cake with her episode until I had Scott Mann on the show. 18 years as a Green Beret, 23 years in the United States Army, a father, a husband, and someone who has fine-tuned his leadership skills and is making an impact around the world beyond anything I've ever seen. But my conversation with him blew me away. I'll give you a few previews of what you can expect. One, he had me in tears. Two, he had me laughing. And three, he made a fundamental impact on how I will lead within the walls of my own home and in my business for the remainder of my life. Whether you feel like you're living in a state of fight or flight in both business or parenting, or you feel like you're letting your family down as you pursue business, or you're wondering how to inspire others so that they take action with you, it all comes down to one thing. Are you relevant? Are you relevant to the people you are serving, to the people you are leading? So join me in one of the most impactful podcast episodes I think you'll ever hear. And a little warning, our internet was a slightly spotty, but stay with us. It's worth every second of this interview. Okay, let's get to the show. All right, Scott, so it's an honor to have you on the show and to just have the opportunity to thank you for your service and, you, you know, really show our gratitude for you and your brothers and sisters in uniform. So that to me is the ultimate servant leadership. And I want to thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm, <clears throat> military service is probably the, you know, next to being married and being a dad was the, was the greatest honor of my life. It was something I wanted to do since I was 14. And I look back on it and I, I absolutely loved every second of it, even, even the rough times. Mm, well, if you don't mind, we're going to dig into all of it today, including the being a husband and a dad, because a lot of our listeners 
are in that space where in their, they're in some form of leadership outside of their home, but they also are really seeking to be leaders within their home and raise leaders of their own and make that impact on the next generation, which, you know, in my humble opinion, desperately needs strong yes. leadership. Yeah. So yeah. I could spend an entire day asking you questions about, uh, I don't know, the transit, the translation of leadership in military life to how that translates to the leadership lessons in regular everyday life. But first, I would appreciate if you'd share more about yourself and just, just your journey as a whole. I know you said you had your eyes on the military since you were 14, so you clearly have had a, a path ahead of you. Tell us more about you. Yeah, thanks. And, and again, I appreciate being on. I knew that I wanted to be a Green Beret from the time I was 14 years old. It was something, uh, I grew up in a little logging town in Mount Ida, Arkansas. We didn't even have a stoplight. And one day a Green Beret walked into our soda shop and, and he, he just, the way this guy looked, the way he carried himself, he had on his uniform and it was just like pressed to perfection. And he had the, the big jump boots bloused, you know, uh, right at about mid shin level. And everybody just stopped and looked at this guy. We'd never seen anything like this. And I just, as soon as I saw him, uh, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, and the thing was, I was, I was a runt. Like I was so small. And I had spent most of my life moving from town to town and, and, and really kind of on the outside looking in at everything. And so it became kind of comical in this town that that's what I wanted to do. I, like my nickname was Rambo and, and I was like this scrawny little kid and, and I, I, but I was obsessed with it. I trained, I studied, I just, everything I did was around the idea of, of becoming a Green Beret. And the reason that it was so interesting to me, Liz, was that you know, this guy's name was Mark and, and he sat down with me and, and he, he explained to me what green berets do. And he helped me understand that they're very different than Navy SEALs or, or, or Delta force green berets. Those guys, what they do is they go in on a target, they take it down and then they come off the target very quickly. And they're the best in the world at it. And what Mark explained to me is that green berets are kind of a combination of John Wick, uh, Lawrence of Arabia and the Verizon guy. You know, they are, uh, they are relationship based connectors, but they happen to be lethal and they can be, but what their real specialty is, is going into areas, parachuting in, and then building relationships with indigenous people, uh, over long term to help them stand up on their own. So like we wear the indigenous clothing, we grow our beards out, we speak the language, we immerse in the culture and we might stay in there for a year two years at a time. And so it's really about working by, with, and through other people. That to me was just fascinating. I, I just, you know, and so that's what I did. I tried out, I got in the army in uh, 91, tried out, made it, and then um, did that for the rest of my life. I worked in Central and South America in the drug war during the 90s. And um, then when 9-11 happened, I spent most of my time in the, in, the, in the rural areas of Afghanistan working with Afghan tribes. So it was, you know, it was all about engaging uh, people very different than me, building rapport, building relationships, and then leveraging those relationships in high stakes, high risk moments. And that really solidified for me an approach to leadership that I still do today. You know, that's all around purpose and human connection and inspiring people to take action on their own through relationships and connection. So that's kind of my journey in a, in a nutshell. You kind of describe, I don't know what I picture is 
the crux of leadership, that ability to come into a space where you might be with people who don't see everything the same way as you, or they come from a different background than you, but you guys have a, a common mission at heart and you have those leadership skills to inspire them and give them the confidence and trust to, f- to follow you towards that end goal. And yeah. hearing you say that is interesting because I didn't expect to go in this direction. We don't have to go crazy with it, but it's making me think of the world today and how <laughs> divided the world today is from the angle of if you step into a space with people who don't agree with you or don't see things like you, you have to divide immediately instead of seeing the opportunity of how really ultimately, even though we might see different ways to skin the cat, many of us want similar things. We want uh, good opportunities for our families. We want freedom. We want the ability to be present, live a good life and, you know, see other people succeed too and lift other people up. Yet, we're in a world that preaches kind of the opposite of what you described, being able to come into a common space with differing values and opinions, but still work towards some common goals. Any, any thoughts on that? No, I think you framed it beautifully. I, uh, you know, what I, what I call that, what we call that at rooftop leadership is, is shadow tribalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a, it's a very, very dangerous dynamic in modern society. And I'll unpack it just a little bit. And you're right. We don't have to go super deep on it, but here's what I will say. When, when I was operating in rural Afghanistan, you know, what I came to see was that the first 10 years of the war was we had it wrong. We were trying to prescribe to people from the top down, how they should behave. They should embrace democracy. And what we ended up doing was we tried to compel and coerce people to to take action and it didn't work at all. Starting around 2010, when we started living in these communities again and working with the Afghan people at a village level and meeting them where they are, not not where they where we wanted them to be. What we saw was in those low risk moments where we built trust, established social capital, the oldest form of capital in the world, relationships, rapport. When attacks came, then people were going up on the roof one at a time and standing up for themselves. And within you know a couple of weeks of us doing that. Uh, the whole village would be up on the roof fighting back. And I started calling that rooftop leadership. And it's really the, it's the ability to inspire people to take action on their own, to follow you because they choose to follow you. And if you really unpack that, and this is what we do and what I'm big on is we have to understand our nature as humans, Liz. I mean, that we are still ancient brains in a modern world. Our brain has not changed much in a couple hundred thousand years. And so we're very primal. Uh, we're very emotional. We are big on finding meaning and purpose in everything that we do. We're we're story creatures. We love story. Um, and connection is our superpower. It's why we thrive in the modern world because of our ability to connect. But for, for a range of reasons in modern society, mass technology is a big part of it, materialism, careerism. We've lost touch with kind of our primal nature, the thing that our grandparents and great-grandparents knew to be true, hospitality, listening, storytelling, reciprocity, presence, being connected and not having to say anything. Like these are all things that have been part of our, our genetic makeup for, you know, they're, they're our biology, but we've completely disconnected with them. And now, you know, we have our heads in these things. Uh, to the point that we're completely disconnected. Now here, I'm bringing it back to the shadow tribalism. 
The problem with all of that is, is when we disconnect from our nature, if, if we're an iceberg, human nature, the, the top point of that iceberg above the, the waterline is the modern world. But below that waterline is 80 to 90% of who we are. And that is a primal creature that craves connection, that craves storytelling, that craves purpose. And we're not tapping into it. And when we do that, we isolate from each other. And we the irony is we start to go tribal, but we don't even realize we're doing it. We're telling ourselves this myth that we're all sophisticated. and all. But the reality is we're acting like tribal creatures. And you don't have to look far to see it. So the more connected you are to your nature and to the essence of what makes us tick and the fact that we need to be social, the more relevant you are to people who follow you. And most people aren't doing it. So it's a huge competitive advantage. Oh, amen. I'm getting goosebumps listening to it. I'm just picturing the shift in the world. And, you know, to your point about devices and yeah, I, I can't, I have three little kids and I can't help but think of this next generation. They're being raised up in this from kind of from day one. Right. Whereas for us, it's, we're developing bad habits as adults, but we knew a different way. Yeah. I don't know if you even have an answer, but where do we go from here for that generation and, yeah. and the leadership they so desperately need? Because yeah. they are just, they have a tall task ahead of them to rise above what's being presented to them. What I tell parents, well, this is true. Look, first of all, leadership, think of it this way. Professor James Clawson from Darden University has a working definition of leadership that I love and and we've adopted it at rooftop. And, and it's this leadership is the management of energy, yours and then the people around you. Right. And, and humans are mostly energy. So we have to manage that energy. And it starts with how we manage our own energy. Right. If our emotional temperature is in the red all the time because we're worried about what's happening to our 401k, we are having the same primal sympathetic nervous system response that we would if we were in a car wreck in Wisconsin. And our children were, you know, in trouble. It's the same response. The amygdala doesn't know the difference, right? So we have to know the difference. We have to know, okay, I'm triggered right now. I need to do diaphragmatic breathing and I need to bring my emotional temperature down so that I go out of fight, flight, and freeze. And now I'm into calm and connect. I've got to lead myself. Once I do that, now I can manage the energy of others. I don't see anybody doing that these days. And that's a real problem because our world of churn is so divisive that we get caught up and, 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 and we get pulled apart for that. So what I tell parents, first of all, is you got to lead yourself first. If you're in this highly aroused state all the time, then nobody's going to follow you because you look like you don't trust yourself. You're in survival mode. And when you're in survival mode, humans are social creatures at a, at a semi-conscious level, your kids see it. They know that. And so they, they go into survival mode, ears shut down. We don't listen when we're trying to survive. We're just, we're just putting all the energy out here. So it's not, you can't connect. The acronym that I think is super useful for parents and that I try to do with my boys is remembering that humans are meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animals who struggle. In other words, we're a mess. Meaning-seeking, emotional, social story animals who struggle. Yeah, I know three S's, but that's my Arkansas public education. <laughs> um, but if you, if as a parent, if you think about like, okay, so meaning-seeking, our kids have to know, they have to have a value on purpose, right? If we are not including why in, in their life and helping them get clear on their purpose, 
it is impossible for them to take action. And then they are at the whim of whatever the world throws at them. But if they're connected to purpose and then, and you're using purpose in the day to day, you know, parents, uh, because our little ones are always asking why mommy, why mommy, why? Because we're driven to know why it is a primal driver. But what do we do? Would you stop asking? Like we, we turn, we shut it down. I think the more we can connect to purpose for our kids and help them find their purpose, it's huge in these low trust times. Emotion, you know, once again, we're emotional creatures. We're the most emotional creatures on earth. What do we do? We shut emotion down. We don't have access to our emotions. And, and whenever our kids are emotional, we, we're, we're almost we're put off by it. But the reality is emotions are not, nothing more than the body receiving a demand signal from the brain to take action on a stimulus. So like we've got to understand that emotions are part of the ride. Right. And so how do we manage that and how do we regulate emotions uh, and help our kids regulate their emotions? Social. This pandemic has done more damage to children in terms of prolonged isolation than we will probably know for the next decade. Amen. And I'm getting this from a range of mental health professionals who are saying this. We are wired to be social. We have to connect. Children figure out how to navigate the world in the presence of other children, right? And other people. And if they are isolated, they lose that regulation capability. And so there are profound impacts. So we have to fight for ways to keep our children connected. We have to do this. And and we need to understand that damage has been done. Damage has been done and we're going, and it's going to manifest as emotion. It's going to manifest in purpose. You know, I've seen it with my youngest. He, he's a he's a senior in high school, dreamed his whole life of playing baseball. His whole life he worked day after day after day. COVID hit, and he's now, you know, he's it's not looking good. I mean, he's working hard, but there's rosters backed up two years. You know, how do you think that shows up for a kid that it's one thing to get to try out and not get it, but to be told, I'm sorry, all of our rosters are full. You can't even try out. Mm. Right. It's but terrible. that's what our, yeah, that's what our children are doing. So that's meaning seeking, emotional, social storytelling. We're story animals. As parents, I believe using story in real time moments when the stakes are high to help our kids make sense of the world. See, all brains make sense of the world through story. We think it's PowerPoint and spreadsheets. That's all a bunch of malarkey. It's not. The way the brain navigates the world is it uses narrative. It uses metaphor. It matches patterns. So as parents, if we can use stories wherever possible and you ask our kids to tell us stories, really, really helpful. And then finally, struggle. You know, we are, struggle is part of our life and um, our kids are going through struggle right now. So how do we help them see struggle? not as something that's taking them off track, but as a biological necessity, right? Our greatest gifts and contributions come in the depth of struggle. And so how do we, how do we model that when we're going through struggle? And how do we help our children see that this struggle that we're going through in this pandemic, for example, is just part of the journey and that the, the, the real essence of your life will be forged in that struggle. If combat taught me anything, it was that losing friends and holding them in their last moments and telling mothers that their sons are gone. You know, I mean, like, you know, I don't relish any of that, but I learned more about life and how to lead in moments of struggle than moments of leisure. So 
I know that was a long ride there, but I do think meaning seeking, emotional, social story animals who struggle, if we can just use that as a lens and as possible levers as we're navigating as parents in these tough times, it's, it's, it can help. I want to dig into a few of them because everything, this is incredible. And everything you're saying is, uh, one, validating some of the stuff that we're starting to do with our kids. Our kids are really little. So I tell them all the time, they're our experiment, unfortunately for them, but we're, we're learning as we go and taking, taking what we know and applying it and then seeing, oh, well, that didn't work so well. We'll try something else. But one of the things you were talking about with like the emotional regulation, you mentioned diaphragmatic breathing. I would have to imagine when you're in those situations in combat and, you know, talk about fight or flight. I recently went through an adrenal problem in addition to an autoimmune that ended up essentially turning off my parasympathetic nervous system. So I was living in fight or flight for about two years and didn't know it. But I was wondering why, why am I so short with the kids? Why if, you know, someone even grazes up against me, I feel like they just punched me. I had no idea what was going on in my body. My body was keeping the score, but I, my brain didn't know what was going on. Mm. What other tips would you have for, because to me, you know, you're talking, we're talking about it through the lens of for kids, but this is a hundred percent applicable to someone, uh, to an adult or an adult leading in business. It's to me all the same. All those things you mentioned are so critical to take note of outside of the breathing. What are some other things that we can do to be conscious of that fight or flight moment and bring us back into a more grounded reality when we're going through that stressful situation, whether it be, you know, something that just happened in our business or something with our kids or teaching our children how to, to implement these things. Yeah. So a couple of things, um, first of all, just setting context. So like, you know, when we go into like your situation, I mean, that that's, that's serious. Like that, I can't imagine doing that for a couple of years, but in some ways people are doing that as well. Like they're going through the life right now in a sympathetic state and they're totally, they're this highly aroused state and they don't even realize it. it it's like, it's like they're in a, uh, Ivan Tyrrell in his book, the human givens calls it a trance like state. If you look at what's happened in politics, if you look at what's happened around COVID, the polarization of issues, people are in these trance like states. They're not themselves, right? They're in this highly aroused state of fear. And in some cases, anger and it's primal. And it's very dangerous because if you stay there over time, it leads to violence, full stop, like it does. I've seen it too many times in the places that I operated. Uh, That's where it ends. It always ends in violence. You know, if you stay there, it's not good. So what does that look like for some of the people watching or listening to this right now? First of all, if you have to go in and you have to give a presentation to your boss, if you have to get on a Zoom call uh, and it's the ninth Zoom call of the day. If your kids, you just learned, are going to be homeschooled again because the government's changed its mind again, or uh, there's a new variant of COVID out, you know, like all of these put us into fear-based behavior many times, and we elevate into this state. And the problem is we're going up here all the time now, and we're not designed for that. Humans are designed to go into a sympathetic state to take action, right? So if, you know, 20,000 years ago, if a saber-toothed tiger comes out at us, you know, we go into a sympathetic state and we deal with it, right? And then we go back to our cave or wherever we are and we gather as a clan and we drop into a parasympathetic state and we go into calm and connect and rest and digest. And we tell stories around the fire and lesson learn and we mourn our dead and we console each other because that's our superpower. And that's where we accelerate learning from what just happened. 
But that sympathetic state is an episodic thing. It is not designed for long-term. So the problem is, Liz, we're having all these responses that are, that are sympathetic responses, but they're, they're not appropriate for the situation and they're long-term. So that's where we have to regulate our state. And so most of what I learned, believe it or not, on this was not in combat. I learned it in the middle of my midlife crisis at 50 years old when I was writing and performing a play about the war. And (laughs) I would go into PTS whenever I would perform it alongside my other combat veterans in the cast. And it was actually a breath coach and an acting coach who taught me how to use diaphragmatic breathing and some other techniques when I would get triggered to bring me down to a parasympathetic state. And then I was, I was where I could call connect. And then I started teaching that to federal law enforcement. I started teaching it to um, special operations, but any of the conditions that I just described to people, this works. So here's a couple things you can do. One diaphragmatic breathing. The first thing you should always ask yourself in a high stakes moment, when you're getting amped and it's a high emotion moment, ask yourself this question. Am I breathing right now? Like literally ask it out loud, because if you ask that, you're probably not right. When we get amped up, we hold our breath. It's an autonomic response. We, we don't mean to do it, but we start to limit our breath. Well, what that does is the vagus nerve sends a signal to the brain that says, Houston, we have a problem because you're not getting enough oxygen to the brain. So you start to freak out. That's why you forget what you're going to say sometimes in a presentation and you panic or, you know, so, so the first thing we have to do is a conscious question. Am I breathing? And then exhale a good, healthy exhale where you squeeze your belly uh, into your spine and like, almost like you're doing a balloon, get that batter out and then through your nose and a belly expansion, not your shoulders, belly expansion. And then just same thing, no shoulders. And you do that like three times, close your eyes three to five times, step away from the trigger and do it. You'll drop right into a parasympathetic state. And then as you're doing that, a couple more things you can do is uh, what you want to do is you want to bring yourself to, you want to bring yourself to the present, right? You want to be able to be present because that's when you're connected to people. Otherwise you're in the sympathetic state and you look like a wild animal. You look like you don't trust yourself and everybody else distances from you, even if they don't act like it. So once you're doing that breath, a couple of things, notice your feet on the floor, right? Just notice your feet, just feel your feet on the floor. Even if it's in a presentation, just notice your feet on the floor, notice uh, the temperature in the room and then find three new things in the room. And if you do that while you're breathing, you'll drop right back in and you can do it throughout the day because we go out, we go out during the day in and out, in and out, in and out. But the problem is we're staying out longer than we should. So those interrupt techniques will help you get right back. And when you're present, the other party's emotional temperature goes down, their energy comes down at a nonverbal level, and they start to get ready to listen to what you have to say instead of this elevated, like, is this an enemy state? So mm, yeah. those are, and it worked, it works in any situation, even even worked with task force pineapple when I was running that operation. And we had Afghans on the run, you know, being hunted by the Taliban. We had them doing breathing techniques laying in their safe house. Like it works in any situation. That is, I mean, I'm already making a mental note to go back and transcribe some of these steps because my mind is pinging between bringing this to the kids, but also into my team and into the business. We've really 
before we hit record on here, you know, you and I were talking a little bit about how we see leadership as that bridge to our next level in, in all categories of life. And it's a majorly lacking thing in society today across the board. I mean, kids aren't getting it in school. It's not being, you know, we're talking management in business and put out the fires and stay in the weeds, but we're not taught the strategies to step up and elevate and work through some of the things that are bound to happen. And I think one of the things that's standing out for me is the reminder of the struggles piece that you mentioned, because I think sometimes that's part of the problem in, in both areas of life is sure. that we don't anticipate the struggle. So when it hits, we don't have the tools or the wisdom or the discernment to say, okay, there's that struggle again. What's my process to work through this and lead through it? Instead, we crash and burn and, and feel all the physical stuff that comes with those moments. Translating it into business, because I know you step into this space as well with the work that you do, what are some of the things that you're seeing or the mistakes that you see leaders in business or, or entrepreneurs making when it comes to actually stepping in and leading? I, I feel like the word leadership gets thrown around a little too loosely sometimes. Like people look at someone in a, they look at positional leadership. This person has this title or they started this business. So automatically they're a leader, but they don't necessarily have the leadership skills to really ultimately be a leader. I guess this is a long-winded way of just curious of your vantage point in working with business owners. What's lacking? What's missing? Where are we dropping the ball? Um, how can we do better? Yeah, great question. So my my experience has been that leadership, again, is an amazingly human endeavor. And we we try to like, I don't know, dress it up as this thing that's so cerebral. But humans have been leading other humans for thousands of years. And if you really unpack it, what my experience has been in the, in the toughest of situations, like where it was really hard and, you know, the stakes were super high, failure is not an option. People follow leaders who are A, relevant to their goals, right? To me today, leaders are so transactional and they're trying to be the best their, their careerism, materialism, you know, just that whole mass technology piece, it, it drives people to be the best at something. But guess what? That's not what people follow. People follow another human who is relevant to their goals because we're goal-oriented creatures. And so, you know, that's the first thing I say is like, I believe that ultimate metric for a leader is, are you relevant to the people in your arena? Are you relevant to your children? Are you relevant to your sales team? Do they, in other words, do they see you as being clear on their goals and trying to help them reach them. And if you're not, you're not relevant. And they're only going to follow you as far as they can when you're looking, and then they're going to become a social insurgent when you're not, right? The second thing is, are you relatable to the pain that they are experiencing with their goals? And do they relate to you? Do they see you as human? Or do they see you as this, you know, mythical figure that does no wrong? Because if that's the case, once again, they're not coming. So relatable to their pain, relevant to their goals. Like I say, put that up as, as a metric when you're thinking about your day. Like, am I, am I relatable to my kid right now? Like, do they see me as relatable and do I relate to their pain? And then take mess again and just look at it. Meaning, as the leader, have I conveyed to our team what our purpose is two years into this pandemic? Have we reevaluated our why? Do they know why I do what I do? Do I know why they do what they do, right? Because if those things are not fully on the table, 
and every single person feels like they get that, they're not coming because we all operate off purpose. So purpose should be like at the forefront of everything we do. And leaders don't do that. They just have some glossy picture of an eagle flying across a lake with some lame slogan on it, you know, and it's horrible, right? Um, Emotion. Most leaders today that I see, Liz, they have zero emotional access. They don't have access to their own emotions. And so when they get in front of their people, they bury all that stuff and they just look robotic. They look transactional and they're not relatable. No one relates to them. We throw vulnerability around a lot. I'm okay with vulnerability. But what we're really talking about, if you don't like that word, just substitute relatability. Do my people relate to me right now? Which brings me to the next letter in S, as for leaders, is social connection. Are you emphasizing connection in everything that you do? Normally, what leaders do is they roll in, they throw up the PowerPoint deck, and they go right to it. And they make no connection with anybody in the room, whether it's a client, an associate, whatever. But the way we are as humans, if I don't feel connected to you right out of the gate, I'm not listening to a word you're saying. Like, I'm just going to sit there and nod, but I'm not listening because we're not connected. And a connection can be a handshake, asking about how your family is, um, you know, just taking a few moments to, and, and we know as humans when we've made a connection and when we haven't, but we've become so transactional these days that we walk into all these agendas. We don't even make a connection with each other. So we're just out of the gate. You've already lost, right? Story. Leaders can't tell their own story and they can't tell the story of their business. And the brain actually is a metaphorical pattern matching organ. It makes sense of the world through story. And if you don't tell them a story, they're going to make up their own. And we know it's going to get, they're going to get it wrong. And they're going to be a little agitated that they had to do that out of your 78 slide PowerPoint deck, you know? And then finally, struggle going back to that. Um, I did a TED talk called The Generosity of Scars, where I talk about like, uh, I almost took my own life after I transitioned from the military. I had a really, really bad transition. And had my son Cooper not come home from school when he did, I wouldn't be here, you know? And that was a terrible, horrible thing. Like even now, I, I, I hate talking about that. But do you know how many people have come up to me after that talk and said, hey, man, I was in that closet. Thank you, right? And, 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 and so as leaders, you know, one of the most generous things we can do is repurpose our struggle in the service of others through our own story of struggle. Because when we do that, we do become relatable. We help the other party transport into our narrative and they can process their own life through our struggle. That's why we are drawn to, to, to TED Talks and people who are, they just tell their story, like they just laid it out there. And we're like, man, I just want to go talk to her, you know, because we feel such a visceral connection, but yet almost nobody does it. You know, no one really taps into just the rocket power of story and struggle. And I think leaders should do that more, not in a dumping therapeutic kind of way, but just like embracing struggle as the key ingredient in our journey of life, you know, because that's what makes us all connected. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I watch that in my children and I see, how much it moves them so much more than let me break down the steps for you of what I want you to do. You almost allow them 
or even your team members, doesn't have to be a kid. It works both ways, I guess. When you share through that story, you allow them to connect their own dots and everybody likes coming to their own conclusion versus, you know, someone telling them to get to that conclusion. And it's such a powerful driver in that. So uh, yeah, I completely agree. There's a, there's a saying, I can't remember the source and I wish I could, I've been looking for it, but is, is, uh, you know, people hate to be told what to do. And so do our kids, but they love to be reminded of what's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really what you just said. I, I think it's so true. Yeah, absolutely. You said you have Cooper. Who's you have, how many kids do you have? So I have three boys, three man cubs, uh, <laughs> Cody, Cooper, and Braden. My wife, Monty, and I've been married for 26 years. We went through the whole special forces journey together uh, my oldest son, Cody, is uh, in, he's an infantry lieutenant. He's in the Army. Uh, my middle son, Cooper, is uh, going into federal law enforcement. And my youngest son, Braden, is on the journey to play next-level baseball. So they're all out of the house. We're empty nesters. I spend most of my day chasing my wife around the house. Um, <laughs> and uh, finally, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really, it's crazy. I was just listening to you thinking about little ones and how fast it goes you know, it really does. It goes so fast. Sometimes our house is a little too quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. I'm trying, unfortunately, sometimes as much as you hear it, you got to live it to gain that perspective because that's the one piece of advice I get from so many of the people I respect who are steps ahead of us in the journey is, you know, it's going to fly and you're going to miss it. And as we're in the thick of the struggle part, sometimes, you know, it takes a lot of energy, three little ones, Um, I try more lately to stop and appreciate the gift that we're witnessing in them growing up and, and exploring life and just tapping into who they're called to be and and how they are intending to get there and giving them the framework and the stability and the foundation to support them because that's the work that we're doing. You know, I've been mentoring entrepreneurs for 10 years and I kept finding that I was helping them get to a certain place in business, but sometimes it was coming at the expense of what mattered most, whether it be their health or their children or their their relationships. So, so much of the work that I do now is really at the core, it's, it's family. It's like, yeah, I can help you get into your next level of opportunity in business, but let's do it in alignment with your values and your priorities and who you're actually called to be, you know, let's not do it at the sacrifice of that. So I'm curious being in such a, an intensive world of being a green beret and then having kids in that journey and having a wife in that journey. I mean, I would imagine there were times that you were gone for massive chunks of time, right? Yeah, there, there were. Um, and you know, it's one of the unfortunate realities of military service and, and other you know, types of work like that is that one of the things you can't get back, none of us can get back as parents or spouses is time. You yeah. just can't. When it's gone, it's gone. And, you know, we, we missed a lot of that. And what I always tried to do was I didn't, when I was home, I was home. I didn't do guys trips or anything like that. So when I was home, I did try to take advantage of my time with my wife and my boys. And we would, you know, one of the things that my wife was really good at, and I'm so grateful for is she really understood, I think because I was gone so much, the precious value of our time together. And she would schedule things that at the time, I'm like, why are you scheduling that? She would schedule date night. She would schedule uh, times to go to the park. She would schedule what we would do on our weekends with the kids because she's like, if you touch that, I will absolutely rip your head off, you know? 
and, yeah. and, 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 and I'm, I look back on it now. I'm so grateful that those times were scheduled because those times they're, they're, they're the ones that like held us together. And, 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 and that I look back on now with the most pride, all the work stuff's a blur, but I remember those moments at the lake and, and driving the boat and tubing. I remember those like, like they were yesterday. And she gave me that, you know, like she, she made that happen. I can't take credit for any of that. But the other thing I would say, even with that though, you know, and, and, and maybe this, maybe this could serve as a, um, I don't know, as a, just a, a, something for, for parents to think about. But at the end of my career, you know, I spent my life, you know, trying to be the best, uh, most relevant Green Beret I could. I went to every deployment to combat that I could go on. I never said no. I always went. And on the day of my retirement, it was here in Florida over at McDill Air Force Base. And, uh, you know, we had 300 people out there, my friends, buddies who had been wounded. You know, it was a big day, 23 years in service almost. And they're playing the Ballad of the Green Berets, which means General Miller, the guy that's retiring me, an iconic guy from Black Hawk Down. Is, he's in his dress uniform. I'm in mine. And we're getting ready to walk in. And my middle son, Cooper, the, the young man who had come home from school later on, um, he walks up to me and he's like, Hey dad, can I, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, Coop, buddy, uh, we're getting ready to start the ceremony. Um, can we, can we, can we wait till after? And he was like, yeah, sure. Dad. So he walks back in and, um, general Miller, I could feel his eyes boring on me. And he was like, we'll wait. You go talk to that boy. So I was like, yes, sir. Last time I said, sir, to a general. Uh, before I retired. So I grabbed Cooper and we went back to the bathroom because it was the only place we could go. And he looked at me and he said, um, I have to ask you something. And at the time he's like, you know, 12. And I said, sure, man, what's up? And he said, are you done? And I said, yeah, man, that's kind of what the uniform's about here and the ribbons, and you know, being a jokester. And he's like, and he just stared at me and he goes, are you done? And I looked at him and I said, yeah, I'm done, pal. That's it. And he just lost it. And he just buried his head in my chest and just sobbed for probably, you know, five minutes. And I realized in that moment that like, I didn't have a clue what I had asked my child to go through. You know, he had spent years wondering if I would come home alone and then having to hide that from me because he didn't want me to worry. You know, he had carried that. I mean, and it it just brought home to me what I had asked my child, my wife, my kids to do so that I could chase my dream. And, you know, thankfully they were young enough at that time that it really framed for me, damn, okay, I need to, I need to, like, I need to be here. I need to be present. And, you know, I, I would just hope that anybody listening to this, like, you know, chasing your dreams and building something is great, but man, like if I could, (laughs) when I look back, like the things that are the best things, are those moments with my wife and boys like that's that's it that's all that matters and everything else was frankly just a distraction i'm trying to get my composure for a minute but i was going to ask you what wisdom you took from that and you already answered it and i think that to me is like the purpose in our mission and the gratitude i have for people like you who are willing to share uh that piece of it because we don't get that perspective until we're on the other side of it. And sometimes it's too late. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. And, and, and I don't think it has to be that way. I, I honest, I believe in high performance, you know, and I'm like you, I believe in, 
we can we can run a race that is is very very noble and puts good in the world and and frankly my my only metric anymore in my life is relevant you know am i relevant to the people i lead am i relevant to my boys am i relevant to monty my wife like that's all i care about i, I don't care about anything else i don't care everything else is a distraction am i relevant because if i'm relevant to the people in my life who are relevant to me then I am playing at the highest level. I am playing at the highest level. And, and I don't know, for me, it just, it took me a long time to get there. <laughs> like it took me 30 years to figure that out. And I'm still figuring stuff out, but that one I'm pretty sure of. Mm. Well, I have to tell you, Scott, you're in competition right now for my all-time favorite podcast I've ever recorded. Oh. And the person you're in competition with is my mother, so <laughs> I don't, okay. I was, was going to say, I can't like admit publicly if you were to be first, because then I'd, I'd be in big trouble, yeah, but that's so cool. I'd watch that one. Yeah. That was a fun one to do too. Hearing her perspective on some similar things that we talked about today, but your mom, I can't, even, yeah, beyond it. It's like hero doesn't do it. Doesn't justice. Do it justice doesn't do it justice. She's, um, remarkable beyond measure and has a a level of leadership but even the like the word to me servant leadership is redundant like that's leadership yeah. we don't we shouldn't have to say servant leadership but she if there were something above that like almost sacrificial isn't the right word it's almost saintly saintly leadership maybe we'll put her in that category okay. yeah. um but yeah this this episode so much wisdom. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that you are, you know, I, what I love to see in the world, what like lights me up is when people go through an experience and they figure out how they can extract that wisdom and gift it to other people through a business model. And so I would love if you'd tell people a little bit about Rooftop, like where can we come find you? How are you taking your experiences and all that you walk through and those struggles and the learnings and giving us an opportunity to get our hands on, you know, that, that wisdom that you have. Oh, thanks for that. I, you know, what I decided to do, Liz, was when I came back and I, and I'd gone through those dark moments in my transition, I started asking myself, like, as I looked around the country, there's so much, like you were talking about division and there's so many trust gaps in the country. I call it the churn. And it's just this distrust and distraction and disengagement between us and the people around us. And I started asking myself, what if I could take that, that purpose-based human connection skill set that I'd spent 30 years building for going into low trust villages. And I could teach other leaders, you know, across multiple industries, stay at home dads to apply this in their life, to overcome these, frankly, unprecedented challenges that we face today around fear and isolation and distrust. And that's what I started doing. I, so rooftop leadership is a company that I built about a decade ago. And it's, it's whole purpose is we're all about human connection. And it's not just, it's the science of it, because there's a ton of like neuroscience and social science that goes with the ability to be a storyteller, the ability to listen like it's like your life depends on it, the ability to just be present, you know, and make these connections that ultimately create social capital. And social capital is like the oldest form of capital in the world. It's way older than financial capital. You know, social capital is what compels people to take action of their own free will at vast levels in whatever it is we're doing. And so if you, you know, these tangible and intangible linkages that we build with trust and rapport and relationships, that's actually a skill set. 
but nobody trains on it. So I train people using those old school interpersonal skills that I've like done for 30 years uh, to make better connections in their life, to make better connections so that they can influence in a way that meets a purpose bigger than themselves. And so uh, rooftopleadership.com, we've got, you know, Rooftop University, which is like a, you can come in there and, and, and basically have access to all of the different courses that we do. We have calls that we do with our coaches every couple of months. I do corporate training keynotes uh, in person, remote. But my goal is our goal is 10 million inspired rooftop leaders in 10 years. That's the goal because right now we're a country of about 340 million. And typically, when Green Berets are dropped into an area, they can go in with, like, for example, in Afghanistan, you know, 27 million people. In 2001, we dropped in less than 100 Green Berets and turned the whole country, you know, against the Taliban and Al Qaeda in like 100 days. And wow. and so I just took those numbers, and that's typically what our numbers are. I said, okay, if we've got 10 million inspired rooftop leaders operating across multiple industries, raising their kids, and they all have a value on purpose and human connection, that's enough to turn our country back towards a level of trust that bridges beyond these gaps and puts our children on a track that we can be proud of. So that's my ultimate 10-year goal is to get 10 million rooftop leaders trained in how to do this as a skill. So we would love to have anybody that wants to work with us, but your industry, it doesn't matter. Um, the, the key is that you have a value on human connection and you want to learn more on how to do that, you know, for big, for big outcomes. Well, consider me a mouthpiece for you. I, I want to get you out in front of as many people as you can, but the work you're doing is incredible. I'm so grateful for your time and your willingness to share the way you did today. And I just can't wait to see that unfold because the idea of 10 million people strong behind a mission like yours will literally change the way the world is operating, which we so desperately need. So thank you so much for your your leadership and your wisdom. My honor and my, my parting thought to anybody listening would be, no matter what you do in your life, try to make a human connection first. Like if we all just did that, it would be a much better day for all mm. of us. So true. So true. Thank you, Scott. My honor. I hope today's episode gave you exactly what you needed. And if it spoke to you, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next juicy episode. And don't be shy. I don't bite often. So come connect with me over on Instagram at Eliz Hartke. And if there's a topic or a question, a guest you want to hear on the show or an idea you have for us, just reach out and share your thoughts. We do this for you. So the more you tell us, the more we can serve. Thank you for spending some time with me. I really do appreciate you. So tune in next time to keep building that legacy and doing the work that really matters.